0: Originally, we were supposed to be recording on Monday, and I was going to be joined by Connor and Deborah. I think it was uh, both of them ended up ill. We tried to reschedule. Uh, Beth Douglas tried to uh, was going to join us, but she's been held up today uh, doing stuff at Parliament. And literally five minutes ago, I tweeted that me and Cat had decided not to record just the two of us. And the very um, ungauged listeners will know. Ungagged roving roving interviewer Neil Anderson is, he has stepped in at the last minute, so I don't think he's had much time to prepare, and my preparation is two days out of date, so I hope it's still a good podcast, I hope you enjoy it, um, cut us a bit of slack if it's not, the, not up to my usual standard, but we just thought we wanted to get the content out. So, Cat, Neil, welcome.
1: Thank you. I just hope I've got enough to say. <laughs>
2: No problems. I should add that Neil A is our editor extraordinaire at Ungagged, especially for talking sense. <laughs> He's the man that makes it all possible.
0: Pulling the strings behind the scenes. Um, I've completely thrown myself with the a, with a change of format here and just starting to bled off. So uh, I'll start off with saying, "Welcome to Hollywood Ungagged, the Frank Cross of Political Podcast." can't think of anything, anything to pick this week, but since it's Christmas, I picked the character from my favourite Christmas film, Scrooge. Um, I've not watched it yet, but I certainly will between now and Christmas Day. So, how's everybody feeling before we get into the nitty
2: gritty? I watched Scrooge two days ago. I, it's one of those movies that I'm not sure I should let my kids watch, but I do anyways.
0: I'm, it's very, one of the best. I'm very lax about allowing my kids to watch, to be quite honest, so I'm in no place to judge you. You a well, fan?
1: I'm not too well up on movies, so I haven't even heard that there's a, a different version of it
0: out there. Oh, this is like the, the one that came out in like 1988, 1989. in oh, right. Bill so, it's, so, it's so strange, I think, watching it because it feels like a period piece of the 80s that was made more recently, I think. Because <laughs> it is so 80s, it seems too on the nose. Uh, but that's what I love about it because it sort of just reminds me of my childhood.
2: Yeah, the problematic parts of it. If if you look at it as like a snapshot of what was wrong in the world, it works.
0: Okay, let's get in and let's get on, guy. Okay, initially I had a few different. Things we're discussing, talk, talking about. And in the end, there were so many stories coming out of Westminster this week that I've just squashed them all together into one topic. I mean, Ian Blackford, the leader of the SNP Westminster group, standing down, and he's now been replaced by Stephen Flynn MP. Another SNP MP has been facing an investigation for revealing the decision made by the Speaker. And there's been just as much drama in the Tory benches as former Chancellor and Health Secretary, Sajid Chavid, has said that he will stand down as an MP at the next general election, and perhaps influenced by the catastrophic election result in Chester, where the Tories saw the worst result in the constituency since 1832.
1: And Matt Hancock today as well?
0: Yes, I was just thinking that. Like I said, my notes are a bit out of date, but Matt Hancock, (laughs) that (laughs) man... That's not a name you want to stutter over, is it? Definitely not. So, Kat, one what, what, what of the many things that I've thrown at you um, stood out for you, what was the one that caught you eye right this week?
2: So Matt Hancock is standing down? Yeah. Yeah, oh.
0: he's, he's pretending it's his decision, but seemingly his local yeah. party had already made that decision. From, so,
2: Yeah, right. Um, that's all well and good, but, you know, we'll see who they vote for in the general election, what has been... Um, On my mind as the token S&P member that's that's on the pod today uh is uh the S&P Westminster leadership which um Stephen Flynn won Mary Black's his deputy and I mean it's definitely a new generation of people there's now two leaders that are younger than all three of us on there which is
0: fine
2: I mean I'm fine with it like I don't know. I've had jobs where my bosses were younger than me and then where all the underlings were way, way younger than me. So I guess that's fine. But um, I had really, really backed Alison Thulis. I thought it, she would do a really good job and it would have been nice to see a woman at the at the head of the S&P in Westminster. But I'm I'm willing to, you know, hold any criticisms I have of Stephen Flynn and Mary Black now and see what they have in store i was a bit
0: surprised um obviously i don't know a lot about the internal workings of the the snp but the sort of initial um things that i gleaned to what people were saying that there was a kind of left right split that alison Foolis was seen as the left candidate but that kind of my viewpoint it kind of turned upside down when mary black in is his running mate sort of thing Obviously, I associate with being in the left. So, I suppose I suppose it's really just revealed that I don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about the internal machinations of the SNP.
2: To be fair, this is only SNP Westminster MPs voting on this, so it was very opaque. You know, I think if the membership would have voted on it, it would have been interesting. Before Mary Black was announced as a deputy, Alice and had it in the bag, but Stephen Flynn has. Uh, what what was the quote used on maneuvers? He's been on maneuvers for quite some time. Um, I don't think Alison Thulus had the time to build support. Um, so it 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 really isn't anything to do with the SNP party membership. It's just the MPs.
0: Yeah, when 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 you get an electorate of like what forty four and you play five sides with nine of them, I suppose that gives you a bit of a head start in terms of uh, winning any kind of internal election. And the Northeast
2: MSPs will always vote for the Northeast MSPs, if that makes sense.
0: Neil, what were you? What was your thoughts on the very short uh, leadership
1: campaign? Um, I didn't actually hear that much about it. It was, it seemed just just to happen that Ian Blackford said he wasn't doing it anymore and then ended up, there was two candidates and Bang! That was it. So I don't know if I just wasn't looking at stuff in detail enough, but no,
0: I agree. I was kind of surprised today. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was quite surprised to hear it get announced today because I thought there'd be some kind of prolonged campaign period. Where, um, but I suppose when there's only forty people to campaign with, well, you don't really need much long longer than that.
1: Well, at least we we didn't have the thing with uh, like we had with uh, uh, Arushi and uh, and Liz. That I mean, that was utterly ridiculous. Why on earth did we have national TV debates for the leadership of the Conservative Party?
2: That was yeah.
1: absolutely ridiculous. So we didn't have that, fortunately.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um. What about any other happening this week there at Mm -hmm. Westminster? Um, Like the John Nicholson being investigated uh, by the speaker? Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that?
2: I'm afraid Uh, that that has escaped my notice. I was going to say the same. What's it
0: being meaning? Well, I'll I'll just outline it for you then.
2: So, John
0: Nicholson sent, sent a letter to the... The speaker about the conduct of Nadine Dorris on one of the committees. I don't know if the, the details of that is, is actually known what exactly he was reported, or for but uh, the speaker wrote back saying that he they weren't going to investigate her. And John Nicholson on Twitter did a video exp- it saying that that he'd reported her and it was it was the being, it had been uh, an investigation was to take place or there was no case to answer or whatever. And he is now getting hauled over the coals for breaching the confidentiality of revealing that the speaker made a decision on it, and the, it's it does. I still don't see what the big deal is exactly, but you know, there was a whole debate. Uh, I think last one afternoon in Westminster about John Nicholson doing this, and there was a vote to send it to be investigated. Yeah! Wow.
2: This is like it's so like piddly if you will like if he would have done a video saying I'm going to write the speaker right that would have been fine and then people could have asked what the reply was and then found out the same exact thing it seems like they're they're concentrating on little bits and pieces of process to avoid being held to account
1: Talking or or talking about the real story. My thought on that is right. What's actually going on here? What's the the real thrust behind all that? There's, there's something else in that, not just uh, what we are seeing. And that for me anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think what it is is I think it shows the absolute. Um, oh, what's the right word I'm for? In the inward nature of Westminster and Westminster MPs. They really think this is a big deal. Like the, like the general, I think it was David Davis that reported the breach in confidentiality. And they're so um, tailored and fond of these antiquated rules and conventions that they do in Westminster that they seem to think it is some massive crime because you've breached this rule. John Nicholson says that he was not even aware that he was there was an expectation of privacy because there was nothing uh, in the letter saying so. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. he gave quite a, an honest speech uh, where he explained as a journalist he's well aware of, on the record, off the record, uh, he wasn't aware of this rule that you that couldn't reveal the Speaker's decision, which, come on, where's the transparency, the, the legislature, that, you know, the Speaker's making decisions, what are not even allowed to know about them. It's ludicrous. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Course, I, I-, I mean, John Nicholson's not a socialist by any means, but I think he has... He's one of those like more progressive centrists that we can live with, if that makes sense. Like I, I don't have any problems with, he's not gonna be on the front lines with the workers, but his politics are solid. And it, I hate to see this happen. Cause yeah, you're right. It, it's about like not being held accountable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know John Nicholson. I, I just kind of always think he comes across as quite decent, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is decency something that's vastly underrated in politics. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. you can you can encounter people who even agree all the politics, but there's just a, a lack of honesty and decency about them that makes it hard to uh, really work with them, even though you might agree with them in a lot of issues. Uh, and on the other hand as well, I find that somebody's kind of honest and a sense of decency about them, you can you can find a way of bridging some quite big political chasms. If that's the case, uh, and I've, I've always kind of thought of John Nicholson a bit like that. He always came across as an all right guy um,
2: and very talented. Yeah, at his job,
0: but the knives definitely seem out for him like in terms of uh, you know, like I said, he made a speech where he explained uh, and apologized and. They were not satisfied with it. They were quite. The atmosphere in the chamber was, you know, quite kind of hot. Considering some of the things they debate about, like real issues about life and death, that some of them don't seem to even get fussed about. But you know, if you breach one of the precious wee internal rules, you know, suddenly they're up in fury.
2: Yeah. I mean. Isn't this kind of Boris Johnson didn't resign because he broke the code? Pretty Patel didn't resign. So they're just trying to show that, you know, they're trying to find any detail. I mean, they didn't resign. They broke the code over pretty big things. But now they're trying to find any way to say other parties also had people who broke the ministerial code. Yeah, they do seem to have the same venom
0: for breaking their kind of rules.
1: Well, it depends. Always depends on who you are and where you are in the hierarchy and that kind of thing, doesn't it? So,
0: I mean, we're talking about breaking rules. Um, I think we spoke last week about uh, Michelle Moan, who, According to Twitter at the moment, now Twitter's not always that reliable, but there is rumours on Twitter that she, at this moment she is fleeing to Honduras, uh, which does not have an extradition treaty. Um <laughs> I'd rather, rather than explain where the £29 million pounds of taxpayer money came from, but, you know, maybe that's just a rumour.
1: I, I suspect that's exaggerating things a wee bit. But <laughs> if it's
0: put,
2: not? Good
0: riddance. She did seem to be putting all her assets up for sale very recently. Uh-huh. Which might, <laughs> might have been in preparation for legging it, but we'll see. That, that's a development story.
1: Uh, oh, it definitely is that. And I thought it was a great wee, um, as we say in Scotland, plunge when, you know, Conservatives and uh, Sunak was being asked that is she going to lose the whip? And he said, oh, it's up to the whips to decide. And then, because of the technicality, because she's taken the leave of absence, oh, oh, no, not, no, that means she's lost the whip because she's not attending. And I thought that was just, oh, right, Aye. Just uh, a great wee thing for for them to go, oh, yes, she has lost a whip, but, you know, and then tell other people, but it wasn't hers that did it.
0: You know, she's lost a whip, but she's got £29 million in exchange. That's a hell of a deal. Aye. Um, What about the other sort of thing? The fact that, you know, the Tories are left, right and centre, apparently standing down at the next general election. Completely coincidentally, after they get absolutely wharfed in the... City here, Chester Bielich, where they came a distant second to Labour. I'll just go through the results here. Mm. Labour get seventeen thousand votes. The Tories were in second place with six
2: thousand votes. Oh um, damn!
1: Yeah, I can't remember the, the figures or whatever, but it was a Labour seat before, but they increased uh, the the majority by a, a large amount. Yep.
0: Jeez. The it was a tradi- it was a Tory seat for a very long time. And it was one of these seats that sort of switched over when, um, in like the, the kind of Blair years, but it, was, but it was still up until 2019, quite a marginal seat. So we see them absolutely crushed like that, you know, they must be panicking.
2: My dream scenario is that Labour isn't able to form a majority without the consent of the s and and or Greens, if there's some kind of agreement. And and that they have to concede and and have our the independence movement in Scotland to form a government. So you know, the more things that happen in Westminster to make that a possibility, uh, I'm all good with that.
1: I, I would I would totally agree. But we first past the post is terrible because I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Tory's got what was it if I remember right, forty three point something percent of the overall vote but had an 80 seat majority. I mean, that's ridiculous. The less than half of the vote, they get over 80 seats above anybody else. Absolutely amazing. Um, But no, I I would agree in uh, coalition governments um, actually work well and they're better for democracy. And although at the time, the Lib Dems were slagged off uh, so much when they were in coalition with the Tories, they did rein them in. They did stop them doing things that they're doing now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, When they were were in there, they they did sort of hold them back. And um, I have to admit, I'm a member of the Scottish Green Party, so slight bias here, but I think that uh, in the Scottish Parliament, you know, Greens and SNP are are working well together and there's things that are, are being done that wouldn't have been done Otherwise, if there wasn't another party in there kind of influencing the, the, the biggest uh, party in there. Yeah, I mean,
0: if there was a kind of home parliament which Labour required SNP support, you know, theoretically, you know, that does give the independent movement leverage. I'm just not convinced Labour would not actually cut their own throat before they would actually... Concede on this issue, um,
2: yeah. But then let their voters see that, and then see how many people in England and Wales support independence for Scotland.
0: Also, the SNP would be in quite an awkward position as well because the alternative to supporting a Labour government, putting a Labour government in, could easily be spun that they've allowed the Tories back in. If that did happen. Um, so I think there would be a real kind of game of chicken there in that situation. and would a lot of kind of chess playing and brightmanship. It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see how it ended up. Mm. Let's but,
2: only hope we get the opportunity to see that play out.
0: Well, that's it, because if it's a massive majority for Tories or Labour, it's kind of immaterial, and we, we know we get nothing out of that. So, um, yeah, it's probably still our best opportunity. Mm. Let's hope so. Um, we'll move on to our next um, topic. So the census results in England and Wales were released. The 2021 census revealed last week that for the first time, fewer than half the population of England and Wales described themselves as Christian. Only 15% of the population also identifies English, compared with 50, 58% in 2011, referring to British. Every single area of England recorded a a decline in Englishness and an increase in Britishness in in the last census. The populations of Leicester, Luton and Birmingham are now greater than 50% black and ethnic minority, which predictably led to Nigel Farage having a meltdown. (laughs) So a lot of details to unpick there, but it certainly seems quite, you know, a historic change, if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Neil?
1: Well, the Christianity, but the, the numbers in that have been sort of declining over many years. I mean, it was at one point, it was the religion of the country and um, you know everybody participated in that. But the, the numbers have been going down uh, gradually for a long time. It's not something that's just happened quickly. I mean, I was uh, brought up in the Church of Scotland. And uh, my mum and my sister are still regular attenders uh, to church. But I know from that that, um, you know, they were a member of one particular church and then that had to close because there wasn't enough people and they amalgamated with somebody else, right? And then that one dropped out and just um, at my mum's at the weekend and she was saying that what she thinks is going to happen now is that there's either two or three churches, uh, Slyvesant and D we from Glasgow, but two or three churches that are going to join together, and but the, the, they'll still have the separate buildings and the separate services, but there'll only be one minister, because that's, you know, they need the three of the congregations combined to, to have, you know, enough, whatever however the system works with paying ministers. But to only have one minister, there is not enough of them in the congregations to have a minister each. So it's been, it's been, and I assume it's the same in England and Wales and and so on, and whatever denominations it is. Um, But yeah, it's been happening for a long time. It's not something that's just sort of gone bang and come in there.
0: Yeah, I think that's a similar thing's happened in the Catholic Church because there's, interesting historic thing whereas a hundred years ago you'd missionaries being sent to places like Africa and Asia and uh, what's happening now is um, there's more and more priests from places like Africa and Asia being brought in because there's not enough uh, you know, people in the UK well, that want to be a priest um, so we've got a sort of missionary in reverse I suppose uh, but yeah you're right I mean the the sort of decline of Christianity has just been gradual for a long time. Uh, and at some point, there was going to be these, this tipping point. And a lot of... I, I, I even wonder if that's... If the number's lower than what the census says, because how many of the people that are, say, describing themselves as Christian actually attend any kind of service? And they just kind mm-hmm. of <coughs> identify with that because that's what they grew up as and that's what they say somebody asks them. But outside of that, don't really, you know, they don't really practice in any sort of significant way. So the reality might be even more secular. Uh,
1: I certainly um, sort of know or know of a, a reasonable number of people that would say they were Christian, but in that way that they're not regular attenders at whatever uh, church it might be, you know. But they, they describe themselves as Christian, um, but they're not. They don't attend a particular church
0: on a regular basis. Yeah, it was my mum would still like say she's a Catholic if somebody was to ask her, but mm-hmm. you know she's not been to mass for a long time. Um, she almost did when my oldest daughter was kind of like showing an interest, and I didn't even want to kind of just you know want to let her make her own decisions and these sort of things. So my mum was going to take her to a uh, service and literally the same week that she was planning to take her COVID get done. And so if that's not a sign, I don't know what is.
2: <laughs> um I I get I mean I didn't grow up here so it's a bit different for me, but I was raised Lutheran, um, which isn't really like Protest trademark Protestant like it is here. And it's not Catholic, but um it was kind of like a third religion or whatever there's i i don't go to church i i go to once covid is finally like this christmas we'll probably go to the christmas carol service on christmas eve at saint giles because it's gorgeous like i know atheists that go to that you know (laughs) um but i'm not a huge fan of organized religion um just because i think it divides us more than it brings us together um my grandma was really concerned that my kids weren't going to Sunday school. And I said, I'm not going to send my children with some strangers at a church I've never been to. And I don't know what they say to be like, here you go. Like, it's just, that's not something that I'm comfortable with. Um, she took my kids to church, t- took us to church when we were there this summer, renewing our visas. And the last time that we went, they were talking about how it's stupid to go to space because of God, like. Why, why would we care about that? We should care about God. And they just lost my son completely because he's been wanting to be an astronaut since he was three. So sometimes I think there's the the gap between what they're saying in church and like what the average person knows to be reality is, is widening. And you know, you see it in the census.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I um, gave up going to Sunday school when I was about 10 or 11. And uh, fortunately, uh, my parents were were, ha- were happy to to let me, me do that, make my own decisions, uh, and I've been a non-believer ever since. Um, but I don't see why there should be a disconnect between going into space and uh, and not believing in God. Um,
2: me neither. <laughs> no, believing in God and then going to space very
1: uh,
0: clearly because you might fly the rocket right into God's face. <laughs>
2: I don't know, and and so my grandparents lived really near Cape Canaveral, so it was even weirder that they were having that discuss there because like we saw numerous rocket launches while we were there from my grandparents' driveway. You know, fire
0: rockets at God.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, um, I actually took more about the racial element out of that because I saw a lot of reports of people clutching their pearls that there's more non-white British people than white British people. And I just thought, that's, who cares? Oh, no. Oh, no. no.
0: Oh, no. I mean, that's what, um, I mean, I don't think I've ever praised Sajid Javid before, but on Twitter, you know, he responded to Nigel Farage, who had this kind of like very somber sort of statement that these cities were no longer majority white. And they just respond saying, well, so what? You know, and that's exactly that. You see people on the right come out with these statements and it's you want somebody to pin them down and say, right, well, explain explain what's so bad about that. And they panic because they don't want to go. They know the next step is outright overt racism. And a lot of people just in the kind of centre-right don't want to make that next step, but they're quite happy to hint at it.
1: And the other thing the kind of person that would say that also goes on about is we're losing our culture and for me that is a total non-argument as well because culture has changed and evolved forever, you know so if we end up say in Scotland we have a bit of Scottish, Scottish country dancing with the hooking and the chicken and then we have a bit of bangla dancing after it great, you know Let's, hey. let's let's just progress our culture and in, involve uh, as many different aspects as possible, and not just go. Oh no, right, I'm white. I'm going to wear the kilt and do the gay gardens. Oh, well, I'm not listening to any of that other stuff. Oh, no.
0: I love the great expressions of Scottish culture. You you know what I Um, I.
2: When I was walking home today, I I heard some. Tourists with Canadian or, you know, maybe American accents asking, Oh, can we get a fried Mars bar here? And I just cringed.
1: It's world famous. You'll we'll find so it difficult to find somewhere that was we'll out, it, but it's world famous now.
0: <laughs> this, is a, this is a bit of a tangent, but Kat, would you not instantly know the
2: difference between a Canadian and American accent? I know. I was just trying to not. They were clearly American, but. <laughs> You know, when people are trying to be polite to me, they ask me if I'm, what part of Canada I'm from, which I am from the very north of America, where I might have more of of an accent to share with some Canadians, like Aaron from the Talking Sense pod. But yeah, they were totally American.
0: (laughs) Oh, see, that just proves that I can't, because I've listened to Talking Sense pod, and sometimes I struggle to figure out who's talking. I find your accent so similar. And you're telling
2: me they're not even the same country. They're quite... So Aaron's and my accent are a lot more... Are very similar in comparison to a lot of other people in America. So you're right. You're bang on the money with not being able... But she'll say, um, like, sorry. And certain things... There's certain words where you can tell, but yeah. Aaron's usually more knowledgeable, and I'm joking.
1: I was, I was going to say that Erin was usually... Um, And this is not a criticism of either, in any way, but a a bit slower speaking as well, a bit more measured in the the way she
2: talks. Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, as our editor, he would be the expert on that. (laughs) Um, The
0: the final point of the the census that we mentioned there is that is an incredible drop in the space of 10 years that 58% of people went on the self-English to only 15%, you know, like, that complete shift between Englishness and Britishness.
1: Yeah. So is is, is that a Brexit effect?
0: It's a good on theory. It's 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 definitely something I'd be interested in reading more about if somebody was to dig into it. Um I was just gonna say, in a lot of ways, you know, as a Scottish person, I find British and English is quite often in, uh, used interchangeably. Um,
1: oh. Especially by um, apologies, to Cat, But especially by Americans. Oh, um, well,
2: Americans don't understand no. the difference yeah. no. in the nuance.
1: British, uh, etc. Thing is, is not is not understood, and it is complicated. You know, if you being born and uh, here, etc. Yeah, I know exactly what it is. But if you're looking at it from the outside, yeah, it is a, a complex situation, isn't it?
0: Yeah, particularly if you get right deep into it, start talking about the differences between the United Kingdom and Great Britain and things like that. I mean, a lot of people here don't even
1: understand that. I the United Kingdom, you've got um, uh, the United Kingdom of, what is it? What's the phrase in the passport? Well, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland.
0: Yeah, that's wow. the difference. Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, but it's not part of Great Britain. Tell which is the apartments. island,
2: right? It's geographically the largest island in the British Isles, which is why Northern Ireland isn't a part, hopefully.
0: Also, the British Isles is a controversial term as well.
2: Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, cat
0: <laughs> Don't worry about it, though, because I can't tell you what some of the alternatives are. Um, I no. did know it at some stage, but I've always used I, the British Isles
1: I was going to say, we've got mainland England, Scotland, and Wales, and then you've got the Silly Isles, you've got the Isle of Wight, you've got the Isle of Man, you've got Jersey, Guernsey, the Outer Hebrides, Shetland, Dortmund, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, That's
0: true. So if we just say Great Britain as an island, then technically, you know, the Hebrides and stuff are only Great Britain.
2: When people talk about the islands of Scotland, I'm like... But you know that scotland is also on an island like as somebody who's from the middle of a continent <laughs> like the sea is not far away ever
0: well nothing's far away compared to america true it's one of the things i always find strange in americans casually talk about driving for four hours you know oh, four cause... hours is
2: nothing yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah whereas you know if somebody moves an hour away but here and it's like well they might as well emigrate and you never see them again.
1: Yeah, but the, one of the differences is though, and it's it's the roads. So in Scotland, if you're going from Glasgow to Inverness, you're going in roads and you're going round corners and up bends and everything else. If you're doing an equivalent, or, or I, I mean there must be roads in uh, the states like that as well. But most of the time, you'll have a straight road between here and here, so you're just sitting on that road going. You know, you don't have to watch all the traffic and, well, you do still have to watch traffic, but you don't have to worry about slowing down for a bend and and all that kind of stuff.
2: This is very true.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one in group sessions, educational count- encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Hollywood Ungagged 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, You can do so by email on inquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Okay, our next topic is the late Queen's lady-in-waiting, Lady Susan Hussey, has apologised and resigned after she repeatedly asked a black British charity boss where she was really from. Uh, Ngozi Filani, a charity founder, was questioned about her background at the charity event at the palace on Tuesday. Uh, Ms. Filani said she was totally stunned by Prince William's godmother's comments. The palace described the marks as unacceptable and deeply regrettable. Sure you caught some of this. This was kind of a big story flying about. Any thoughts? Kat, any thoughts on this?
2: I wasn't surprised. I think that this is more, this isn't like an outlier event. This is more a symptom of what the institution of the Royal family and all their hangers on are, you know, that, what was it? Some princess wore like a little black Sambo pin, which is incredibly racist. Um, not that long ago, it was in the tabloids a few yeah. years ago. So I, remember that. I I wasn't surprised I just think abolish the monarchy I've got the
0: transcript here do you think I should just read through the whole thing
2: yeah absolutely
0: yeah Lady Hussey said where are you from Miss Filani replied sister space no where are you where do you come from we're based in Hackney no what part of Africa are you from I don't I don't know they didn't leave any records well you must know where you're from I spent time in France where are you from here, the UK. No, but what nationality are you? I am born here and I am British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people, lady, what is this? Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Lady, I am a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when, oh, I knew we'd get there then, you're Caribbean no lady, I am African heritage, Caribbean descent and British nationality. I mean, it's like relentless. So yeah. And it, it, it wasn't just the, the one
1: comment,
0: it was... No, going... no, she, it was she was determined to get to the root of whatever she, the mystery she thought was there. Uh, um, I found a lot of the discourse online about this a bit strange. You know, you had right-wingers defending um, this lady-in-waiting, a lady-in-waiting is such a Antiquated term, um, and then people on the left, obviously, you know, defending uh, uh, Miss Moynihan. But,
1: but from what you're you're saying there, I th- I'm not justifying anything, but I'm saying this. But if she just said it in a different way, right? You know, I can see that um, your ancestry is not totally uh, from 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 Britain. Where did your ancestry come from? Or something along those kind of lines. That is different from what you have said that that, that she said.
0: Well, what what I found strange is a lot of the the discussions have been about, is it okay to ask someone where they're from? And I think it's kind of missing the point because, you know, if somebody's got an accent or something about them, maybe out of curiosity, you might, might in certain Situations you—it's maybe a bit overly uh, personal, but it was more the fact that she refused to accept when the woman was saying she was from Britain, she was from London. You know that's that's the bit that's like clearly racist. Um, uh, oh yeah, totally.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. and I agree that there. Um, that what she said was obviously racist like hearing the transcript it's even worse because reading the headlines and stuff you could say you know old people sometimes don't know how to talk right or can sometimes phrase things clunkily um the elderly you know but I I'm not giving that that sorry
1: So my mother is 88 she would never speak to anybody like that
2: correct and like I mean, I, my dearly departed grandpa was extremely racist, but he didn't pretend he wasn't, I guess. Um what I but what I mean is there what you're saying Neil about there's ways to ask that, but I think that would come from a place of genuine interest and not questioning whether someone is actually British. So I think the way that it went down is very clearly exposes the racism at the root of it, if that makes sense.
1: I mean, um For me, just to put an analogy in a different space, I mean, I'm 61, right? I originally did a degree a long time ago in electronic engineering. I got my first computer and personal computer in 1984, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But sometimes people say, oh, I wasn't of the generation. Kids come up these days and use computers all the time. And they're, you know, they're 50 or they're 45, well, I wasn't brought up like that. I'm going. I'm sorry. I'm sixty-one. I'm the same. I was. I, I was there before you, and you know, I picked it up and I followed it and I'm going, gone with it. Please don't blame a lack of knowledge about computers or the internet on your age. That is wrong. And um, totally right that what the the the, the speech and there and stuff and the questions were racist, but. For me, don't blame that on age. No, I'm sorry. Uh, people should learn things as they grow older. It, it's not an excuse in any way. For me.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of time when people ask, you know, I, I used to work with, with, uh, with a girl, she was uh, mixed race, and she would get that question. And she says, and she, I remember her saying, what people really mean is, why you brown? That was the question. What kind of meaning? Like when they said, "Where are you from?" And her, she didn't have any contact with her father, who was from Pakistan, I think. So really, she didn't have any connection with that side of her ethnicity. And to say she was constantly having to like explain, <laughs> explain where she was from, even though you know she was from Glasgow. She was always from Glasgow. The woman in question, Susan Hussey. She was. It was. She was allocated to Meghan Markle to introduce the, the royal oh, family. Feck. Oh, for feck's sake! It's That's um, kind of revealing. I mean, one, I'm sure the royals know what ones are a bit more racist than others. So the fact that she was assigned seems a bit dodgy as well. That somebody uh, was, you know, deliberately trying to create a kind of hostile situation, but. You know, it kinda, it's any wonder Meghan Markle didn't integrate well into the royal family. When the person he assigned to integrate her is clearly a raging racist.
2: I always thought that, like, I, every time something was in the news about Prince Andrew, it was like, and they're going to go stay with Harry and Meghan. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound great. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, there is a history. I mean, it, it's uh, well documented that Prince Philip uh, was racist because of all the marks he made. And very long marriage to Elizabeth. So she either agreed with it or she at least put up with it, if nothing else. So mm-hmm. for me, there's no surprise that our lady-in-waiting, or one of her ladies-in-waiting, has those at least tendencies as well. Yeah, and
0: if you want to go right back, you'll get some of the kind of uh, connections to the Nazis
1: that the royals had, through his I uncle
0: mean, and things like that.
1: Uh, you've seen that picture. I don't know how true it is, you know. Of uh, well, who we knew as well, I, Queen Elizabeth and and King George on the mountain, the in the garden, and whatever, and walking out and doing the. Oh, the, the I think the Queen
0: was doing it as a as a uh,
1: uh, Yeah, her mother was doing it, and and she was doing it as well. And I've looked at that and thought that could be something else, but it might not be.
2: So, wasn't it the Queen's uncle who was the king and then couldn't be the king? He was... Yeah, Sorry? he was.
0: He was associated with the Nazis quite closely. So,
2: is, was he an Edward? What was his name?
1: It was definitely an Edward, yes. Uh-huh. And he well, married, he married Ed- a divorced American and, uh, or wanted to marry a divorced uh, person. It doesn't matter that they were American, the divorced person and yeah, had to abdicate because of it. Yeah, yeah. Was Edward, so he uh, was with,
2: he was with um, Hitler, yeah, like looking at tanks and stuff.
0: Yeah, he met a lot of the Nazis, and I think he it, it was Edward. I think the eight when that was his king name, but he was actually called David, which again is the one of the quirks of the royalties, where they all have a different name and then change it. And Charles, Charles worked that is that's right.
1: It's not just a quirk of the the royals. My father was George Campbell Anderson, and he went by the name of Campbell. And I know uh, I had a friend who was also called Campbell, uh, but he was David Campbell um, Crombie, but he went by Campbell.
0: Yeah, but he he didn't pick that name when he became Ascended to the
2: throne. Yeah. Uh I Uh have reached adulthood. I am going to take on the name, you know. Uh Like, I, Bobby I, the Third. I, I just thought it was the Popes that did
0: that. I never realised that Kings did that up until relatively recently.
2: Rich people do crazy things, you know?
0: Anything else we've got to say about the racist oh, lady no. in waiting? Uh, no, because I might never stop <laughs> if it to get me started on the monarchy. <laughs> although mm-hmm. although the, there has been quite a sizable backlash against them um, in, in Falani, like you know, the initial, the initial reaction, that, I mean, she apologised, so she is admitting what she did was wrong. The palace has condemned her, so they're admitting it. But random right-wing folk are rallying and trying to defend her. And not just trying to defend her, they're attacking no. this, a charity founder for who has done nothing wrong, except not accept the... You know, it's, it, it's not just the blatant racism... It's the condescension of it, like to keep lecturing somebody on where they're from. And there was another detail that they said that she came over and moved her hair out the way to read her badge, which <gasps> is so invasive and, you know, something that I was going to say you do to a child. I don't know, you would even do that to a child. It's just a sort of.
1: It's, it's an act that you do if you have no respect for the person that's in front of
2: you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, a sense of superiority. Oh.
2: I think the backlash you said on uh, Ms. Velani indicates that, like, this isn't a royal family problem. This is a British public problem. Because if she's having to suffer a backlash and mm-hmm. all this, it's because other people thought it was fine and that she was in the wrong. So, you know, before we point fingers at the royal family and how racist they are, we live in a very racist society. We do,
0: unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, Again, the coverage of this has been so big, you know, in terms of what's been said as well, I think to deliberately muddy the waters and, you know, get some more support uh, for the person that's clearly the on. But then, what do we expect for the British tabloids and the British press friendly?
1: Well, that's what I expect from them, what they've done. (laughs) Okay, we um, better,
0: but... but we can. Um, the final topic this evening support for Scottish independence leads support by the union by four points. In the first poll to gauge Scott's opinion on the topic, since the Supreme Court ruled that Holyrood cannot hold in the f 2 without the permission of Westminster, polling was conducted by Redfield and Wilton and uh, found that 49% of people in Scotland would vote yes in a second independence referendum compared to 45% would vote no. With the people that answered don't know removed, that would equate to 52% of Scots who would back independence. Uh, it contradicts claims from unionist politicians that there is no appetite in Scotland for a second vote. There has also been, I believe, another poll today which put support for the independence in 56%. So yes. hopefully this is a trend that is going
1: in the right direction. The United Kingdom left the European Union on a, a four-point difference in the vote.
0: Yeah, Cat, you were on last week, but um, we, we spoke about the Supreme Court decision. But I've not heard what you think, Neil. What was your thoughts with the the decision came back to say that we weren't a, we didn't have the legal power to hold own
1: referendum? Well, to be honest, no surprises. I would have been very happy if they came back and said something else, but just on the little knowledge I gained about it, reading articles, etc. And yeah, I thought it was very much most likely that they'd come back and give that give that ruling on it, unfortunately. But we just have to look at other means of making a proper referendum. And I will be editing tomorrow evening an interview I did with Gary Hassan. And part of that was uh, talking about Legitimacy of a referendum, and it's got to be a legitimate referendum, in his opinion, and he's a very knowledgeable, intelligent man. So I agree with him. So we shouldn't go ahead with it without support from Westminster. We just have to find ways to get Westminster to give us the the, the tick the box to see that we can do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, because that's it. If we don't, it's not about getting their permission; it's getting them to commit to respecting the result. And
1: uh, but if we don't get their permission and we do it on its own, they wouldn't respect it. Other countries around countries in the world wouldn't respect it. And Catalonia, being an example, they had a referendum which said they wanted independence and no recognized international country has accepted that because it wasn't you know fully accepted by the Spanish government to do.
2: Yeah so the Supreme Court ruling didn't only say that Scottish government Scottish parliament did not have the competency they did say a section 30 was the competency so kind of piggybacking on what you're saying and upon reflection over the final the last week it's it is every pressure we can put on to get that section 30 because they can't back out after that I think there's more of a risk of an advisory referendum being boycotted by all the unionists and not having enough turnout than you know a Catalonia situation I think Spain is just a different animal not that their Catalonia's fight for independence isn't just I just think they're in a very different arrangement but I I do think that you know like I said um the the voting intentions uh, unfortunately the greens didn't make it into all of the like preference and trust and stuff like that but um the voting intentions look really really good for independent supporting parties the next Westminster and the next Hollywood
0: yeah, is that is that the poll today you're talking about?
2: Yeah, the Ipsos poll. So this is the Scottish Political Monitor that they do every six months, and it is absolutely fantastic.
0: Redfield and Wilton one was a bit more mixed when it came to the general election. It didn't seem as clear. The SNP were only in forty one percent, so that's that seemed to indicate that you know people were willing to vote yes to independence, but maybe not willing to vote the SNP, which would. Put a big spanner on the works when it came to using the general election as a, as this, a de facto this,
2: referendum. So the Ipsos poll, um, the Westminster voting attentions for the SNP are were like fifty one percent, and then if it was a de facto referendum, it bumped it up to fifty three percent. So it actually was a higher vote share if it's a de facto. Um, and then the Greens, the Greens were like three percent period and then 2% if it was a de facto which i think just reflects that but it's still a higher higher percentage for a de facto referendum so that would be a situation up,
0: that would pretty much make it up to the 56% that overall was saying they would vote for it then right so. and
2: if we can get the snp and the greens to agree to some sort of arrangement we could probably maximize that which let's let's hope let's work together guys let's let's get our parties <laughs> I don't think that will happen, but a girl can hope.
1: No. well, I think uh, we've got to maximise the vote, and if that takes a wee bit of compromise somewhere, we've
0: got to do it. Well, I'm sure the Greens would. I just, I don't think the SNP are probably going to that, do that.
2: It it ha- it takes like um a, a some sort of suspension of the current constitution to stand in all all um constituencies for general elections, but there is like a special conference coming up in the spring just to deal with this issue to get a gauge of what the membership wants so who knows someone might put a resolution forward
0: so it would probably be the to of standing down for the greens and like say three constituencies or something like that is that
2: i mean I, I wouldn't specify the number of constituencies but i think i think the resolution might be to suspend that rule in the constitution in order to facilitate some kind of deal because i mm-hmm. don't think that the wider membership necessarily should have that say i think there's people that are very politically savvy and no tactics in in both parties and none who who would be better informed to do that
0: it also would open a, a can of worms potentially because then you might find some people pop up insisting that alba get involved and that would cause that would cause a lot of trouble I could not see the Greens and ALBA
1: coexisting. No, I think probably Greens would back out of that if ALBA weren't to be involved.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest including ALBA. I don't think either one of their MPs will be re-elected. Um, but I I think that you're correct. I think it needs to be very precise and measured to to get the results. Like to maximize the yes vote for the result. Because I think most ALBA members will vote for the SP and the Greens in the general election if that's their choices or an independence vote.
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear, I am not in any way advocating for ALBA. But if that rule was suspended, all it would take was maybe a branch somewhere and try to try to think of somewhere reactionary, but no, I don't want to upset a the whole area of Scotland. But A Mm. branch that maybe is quite right-wing and reactionary, and maybe isn't good, good, sympathetic to Alba. What would take for them to to make that decision? Then, so I don't know. It wouldn't be Glasgow. It's fraught. Certainly, it's a fraught.
2: I have to say, as a long, as a suffering lefty in the SNP, who's you know, feels like I'm kind of fighting. a battle like in the minority um, when there's things that I'm not sure will pass that I think are too progressive to pass, they, they generally have passed overwhelmingly. So we'll see, I'll have to do some research, but it would be great if we could get both parties to the table by which both I mean the Greens and the SP. Maybe we can rope the Buttehouse agreement into it somehow to make it those two parties. Make it special.
0: Well, thank you for the statement. in, both of you. Kat, at almost the last minute, Neil with totally at the last minute. And, you know, our well wishes to Deborah and Connor that were supposed to appear that are both under the weather. Yeah. Um, Beth was doing important stuff to do with the Gender Recognition Act at the Parliament today, so no shade to her for nobody able to make it. And we managed to put together an episode. So thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back for another episode next week. You can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles. We have a North American-based monthly podcast, World Beat with George Collins. You can also catch the Talk Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. And if you've got anything you want us to talk about on Hollywood gag, you can tweet us at underscore ungag, hashtag Gag, Or email email us ungagleft at gmail.com, put hollywood gag in the subject line. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. You can also join our Discord community and sign up for our free newsletter, fungag.substack.com. Kat, Neil, thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.